Well, good morning. Thanks to Kim for that uh, challenge. Uh, what a blessing to celebrate a baptism. So I I'm thrilled that uh, you're all here today. My name is Jason, one of the pastors here. And if uh, you've been here forever, or you're just visiting, uh, you're here for the baptism. I am uh, delighted that you're here today. Well, as Brad and Kim have said, we're, we're starting a new series, Rescue is Coming. We're looking forward to Resurrection Sunday. We're looking forward to that ultimate rescue. But today, we're going to look at the life of Moses, and we're going to look at how God is preparing Moses through his presence. Before we get into the actual narrative, though, I want you to think about preparation for a moment. One of the things I loved about Lauren's testimony was this word perspective. She said, I had a different perspective. A different perspective is to see differently. And I want to ask you this morning, what is your perspective on preparation? Two questions to consider this morning. What is God preparing you to do? And who is God preparing you to become? Which question you prioritize matters. They both matter, but which one comes first? So much of the time we want to look at the first question and say, what is God preparing you to do, which can lead us to performance and some other things. It can drive us inward in some ways. Or who is God preparing you to become, which can drive us closer to God? Both matter, but which one do you prioritize? As I was thinking about preparation this week, I noticed in my attic there were some squirrels on the ceiling. Oh, good night. Where is he going to go with this story? We'll see. <clears throat> so the first thing I did is actually called somebody. That's not usually what I do. Usually YouTube is my first go-to, but called, called somebody to come out and take a look at it, and the estimate they gave me was shocking. <laughs> I was not prepared. I purchased multiple cars for less than what the estimate was. Now, if you know me and my cards, that's not saying much. However, I said, well, I can, I can do this. I'm the type of person. I'm preparing myself. I, you know, I put my, my coat on, my gloves on, a hat on, had a light and a shovel. What am I going to do? I don't know. But I get up there, and I hate for this to be an anticlimactic story, but I didn't see any squirrels. <laughs> I saw evidence of squirrels, though. So there will probably be a to-be-continued part to the story. But as I was up in the attic, had kind of one of those, uh, sorry, this is not that sanctified of a reference, but Christmas vacation had one of those moments where I'm looking through, I found like keepsake boxes up in the attic. And in those boxes were some pictures of the college days. No, it's not an awe, it's like, a, oh... And I'm looking at these pictures, and I'm like, who was that idiot? <laughs> There's that look like I am invincible. That look. And I was thinking about 
preparation, and I was thinking about all the stupid things I did back in the day. Not just like what you might be thinking of, but even stupid in terms of how I thought about preparation and training. And as I've gotten older, and I'm on the other side of some injuries and a knee replacement and other things, I, I, I think more about how I prepare, how I train. And one of the gurus I kind of follow on this, a guy named Peter Atia, he talks about the centenarian Olympics. He says, this is the sport we ought to be trained for, to live to be 100 and to think, what do I want to do when I'm 100? What do I want to do with my great-grandkids and how do I want to be able to function? And then you backward engineer and say, well, if I want to do this at 100, what about 90, 80, 70, 60, 50? And I'm, I'm on that side and I'm looking at I wish I would have done that. I wish I would have done this. Stretching, nutrition, wow, what a concept. In that picture, didn't pay any attention to those things. But one of the lessons is it's never too early to start, and it's never too late. It's never too late. And I want to take you to this passage before we get into uh, the life of Moses. I want to take you to Paul's letter 1 Timothy 4.8, he says, Paul says this to Timothy, he says, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Here's what I want you to see about that this morning. We've got all generations represented here. Some of you are just getting started off and you're young and you're like, how do I even think about these things? Some of you are on the other side of that. And I want you to see that last verse, and the life to come. The preparation that we're going through now is not just for this life. It is for the life to come. So if you're on the other side of 80... There is still preparation for you today. If you're 18 or younger, there is preparation for you. Whatever season you are in, God has work to do in you and through you. Amen? Are you ready to receive from God's word this morning and see how he might change our perspective on preparation? Let me take you to Exodus chapter 3. Let me give you just a little bit, of, uh, little bit of background here. So we're in Exodus. We're in Egypt. If you've been with us the last few weeks, we've been following the life of Joseph. And Joseph and his family have gone to Egypt. Joseph was highly favored because he basically saved Egypt from the famine. He's got all his family and they have... They have now multiplied and multiplied, but there is a new Pharaoh in town who does not remember Joseph. So now the Israelites are enslaved and conditions are getting harder and harder and harder. If you remember back to Genesis 15, God himself, when he appears to Abram, says, hey, I'm going to make you a great nation, but you're going to go through 400 years of oppression. So now we're in that particular period. Well, as the, as the Hebrews, as the Israelites are, are multiplying, 
the new Pharaoh doesn't like it, and he says, i got to get rid of this problem. On the one hand, I've got a labor force, but they're becoming too powerful. So he went to the Hebrew midwives and said, hey, I want you to kill the little boys. Kill the sons. Well, they don't do that. They say, oh, you know, they, and they, they come up with an excuse, and they're able to do that. And then uh, Pharaoh says, well, now we've just got to throw the, we, we've got to get rid of these children. Put them in the Nile. Well, this baby, uh, Moses, is born, and when he gets to three months, his mom can't hide him anymore, so she puts him in the, in the Nile, and lo and behold, Pharaoh's daughter discovers, finds Moses, and um, one thing leads to another, and Moses actually ends up being nursed by his biological mother. Moses will grow up in the palace of Pharaoh, he will receive the best education possible. And when he gets to 40, we don't know this in Exodus. We know this in Stephen's sermon in Acts chapter 7. But when he gets to 40 years old, he looks out and he sees an Egyptian oppressing an Israelite. And he kills him. He looks to the left, looks to the right, and kills him. And then the next day, he's, Moses is trying to settle com- some type of dispute among a couple heroes. And, he, and uh, they said, hey, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? And then Pharaoh gets wind of it, and uh, Moses flees. And then he will spend 40 years in the desert as a shepherd. So 40 years of preparation in the palace, 40 years of preparation in the desert as a shepherd. And this is where we get to our uh, section this morning. Moses has said, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. Now let's pick up the narrative in uh, Exodus 3 verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them cry out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out, up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, 
out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask now that your spirit would be our teacher. I pray, Lord, that as we look at this encounter, that your spirit would guide us. I pray that my words are clear, that they're helpful, that you would connect the dots to our lives in a way that makes us see you differently. Prepare our hearts now. Open us up to what uh, you would have for us. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. First of all, let's look at the calling and the preparation of Moses. The calling and the preparation of Moses. There are several ironies in this story. When we read a narrative, we want to pay particular attention to the details the characters, the contrast. And there's a central irony in this where some of our expectations might be subverted. And when we see Moses and we see his preparation, let's say it this way, when Moses feels he is useless, he becomes useful. When Moses comes to the end of his rope and he feels like he is useless, he's 80 years old, he no longer has connections, he's a shepherd, he doesn't have money. The brash confidence he had at 40 is gone at 80. What does he say? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Verse 11. But what Moses loses, he gains something different. What did he lack at 40? Humility. Dependence. So there's this process of preparation that Moses must go through where he is humbled so that God can lift him up. I believe that's a lesson for us all. There's a pattern that we see. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount opens it up and he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does he mean by that? Eugene Peterson in his translation or his paraphrase says, blessed are you when you're at the end of your rope because there's less of you and more of God and his rule in your life. Our preparation, your preparation, my preparation involves a humbling process. How many of you enjoy that humbling process? 
It's painful. I don't like it. But it's necessary. There is a pattern throughout Scripture that we are humbled, we are brought low before we can be raised and used. James 4.10 says, Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. There is this process where God does his work. God prepares us by peeling off those layers of pride and performance and opening our hands so that we can receive and be used by God. God is interested in who you are becoming. The being comes before the doing. Moses was trying to be a doer at 40 without becoming who God needed him to be. Are you open to how God would prepare you? God would humble you. That requires a humility to be teachable. So Moses encounters God's presence and he sees the unchanging character of God. Let's spend a few minutes talking about how God is both holy and accessible. God is both holy and accessible. We see this in how he appears to Moses. Take a look at verse 2. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. Let's take a look at this strange fire for a moment. What we see in this fire is that there is a contrast between how we normally think of fire. Fire is always dependent upon fuel. Fire is insufficient. It requires gas, it requires wood, it requires some source of energy to keep it going. But this fire does not burn up. This is a fire that has its own source. What does this tell us about God? That God is self-sufficient. God is self-sufficient. The other thing about fire, fire is not abstract. Have you ever put your hand up close to a fire and said, well, that's just a metaphor. (laughs) Fire is real. It's concrete. We smell it. We can feel it. We can see it. There's something about Moses' encounter with God that is not abstract. It is real. It is concrete. It is right there for him. Sometimes when we think about God, we live in our minds, we live in abstractions, we, we, we just live in our deep thinking, and we fail to have a true encounter with the real God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we see in Moses this transformational encounter with the real 
presence of God. Let me take you to verse 5. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. We see the holiness of God. We see the separateness of God. Fire is representative of this. Even Paul in his letter to 1 Timothy says, the one who lives in unapproachable light. God is holy. God is set apart. And at the same time, he cares about his people. I want you to see this contrast. I want you to see this, how these two ideas connect. God is both holy, separate, other, beyond us, and he cares, and he's approachable. Now, the verse prior to our passage this morning makes this observation in in 2.24. says, God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, that that raised a question for me. How can God remember? How many of you have forgotten something and then remembered it? Does God forget? No. So what's going on here? I mean, was God up in heaven and, oh, wow, I overslept. I, I, I don't know. Now I need to get involved and do my job. No, 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 no. I had trouble with this. I mean, you, you read the word, how do we understand it? Am I the only one with questions about God sometimes? And then I came across this uh, wonderful little commentary, uh, Alec Mortier, and he says this. I want you to hear this. He says, the prayers of the people of God have such a key role to play that the Bible can make it clear only by speaking of it in terms we can understand. It therefore depicts the unforgetting God as though he were capable of forgetting and our prayers as having the marvelous effect of causing him to remember. Our prayers are so effective and so delightful in his ears that God condescends to accommodate his eternal, sovereign, providential working to what we can understand as though to say, oh, thank you for reminding me. Let that sit on you for a minute. Sometimes when we look at God, God is unapproachable, God is beyond. Sometimes he will condescend and he will put it in human terms so we can understand it. That doesn't take away from God's word. There's no contradiction here. Sometimes we have to simplify to explain it in a way that makes sense. It's beautiful the way God and his word makes it understandable to us. Amen? Now, let's look at his compassion a little bit more. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. God is holy, God will work, and God will reveal his character. Verse 14, God said to Moses, after Moses says, hey, look, what's your name? 
What do I tell the people when they ask? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. We look at the Hebrew letters here, and that's how we get the term Yahweh for God. And there's a lot of deep philosophy we could do with this, but I simply want to point out a few things in this, that in God's name, like God in the fire, God is, says, I have no beginning or end. God does not change. God depends on nothing. God's name is consistent with his presence in the fire. At the same time, God invites Moses into his presence. And Moses is not consumed. Why? Why isn't Moses consumed by the holiness of God? Well, the angel of the Lord appears to Moses, yet it is God who speaks. When the angel of the Lord speaks, it is the Lord. The angel is different from the Lord and at the same time is the Lord. Without going in, connecting all the dots for you, many commentators say, who is the angel of the Lord? It doesn't just point to Jesus. It's the pre-incarnate Christ. In Exodus, we see this. Now, let me take you to a passage to, to defend that a little bit more. I want to take you to John 8, 58. There's this great scene. The Pharisees are questioning the authority of Jesus. And they said, uh, hey, Jesus, who's your daddy? Who's your father? What's the implication? You are an illegitimate child. And Jesus is going to say, I, I'll show you who my father is. And then there's this dialogue. In verse 58, Jesus says, very truly I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am what is he doing? He is echoing the very words of Exodus 3, the first time Yahweh is mentioned. Now, how do we know this is what he's doing? What did the Pharisees do? At this, they picked up stones to stone him. Why? Because that's blasphemy in their eyes. But Jesus hid himself slipping away from the temple grounds. Jesus is the great I am. He is the one. Now the writer of Hebrews says it this way in Hebrews 4.16. He says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That's what's available to us today. What a blessing. God is both holy, he is other, he is unapproachable, and yet through Jesus, we have a way. We have access to the throne of grace. Now, we have an opportunity this morning for God to prepare us through his presence. And I believe there's a mindset shift that we can all make. So I want you to consider this particular mindset shift this morning. What mindset shift do you need to make today? I believe there are two patterns we can tend to fall into. 
The first is this. I can do blank in my own strength and in my own timing. If that's your mindset, who is your source? You are. (laughs) I am. This is Moses at 40. I can do all things through me, according to my calendar. That's one end. How does Satan work? To separate you from your dependence on God. Hey, you can do this. You don't need God. Just go do, 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 do. Forget about the being. Just go do and accomplish. Can that happen even within the church? Yes. I won't comment on the the church at large, but we've seen some horrible things in the body of Christ in our time and in our country. And my wonder is, is it too much focus on the doing and not enough on the being? Now, the other side of that is, I can't do blank, therefore I won't do blank. Who is that also dependent upon? You. Me. Now, I want you to consider those two mindsets. How does Satan work? How does the evil one lead you astray? How does the evil one cause you to say, cause me to say, you've got this, or it's all dependent upon you? Because here's what happens. When we have a true encounter with God, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who, by the way, were not perfect people, even to say I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to say I work through imperfect, messed up people. But if we have a true encounter with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I see myself clearly and I see God clearly. I see who I am and who I am dependent on. Satan will separate us from that. Satan will, will mess up our thinking Through the Holy Spirit, we can begin to see clearly and have this mindset shift. I can't do blank. God can. Therefore, I will do blank with God and his help. Amen? I want you to think about how God is preparing you. Not just what's he preparing you to do, but who is he preparing you? you to become and what's the mindset shift you can make today because he is holy he is omniscient he is omnipotent and he is available to every one of us today in whatever season we're in amen would you pray with me father we thank you for your goodness to us We thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that it challenges us. So I ask right now that you would reveal our pride, reveal our wrong thinking, and that your very presence would change us today. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.